Was that my cue? I guess. Um, you know what I forgot to do? Thank you. Good morning. Um, I'm Mary Rye. I'm the nervous Mary Rye. Um, I'm a, for those of you who may not know, I am a member here at Community Baptist Church. I am also the chaplain at Methodist Hospital. Um, Tim, our pastor, is on vacation this week. Yay! Good for Tim. Um, they are in Washington, correct? Oregon. Oregon. Up there someplace. Um, and we pray that his time away is peaceful and restful and fun and all of those good things. Um, you will notice in your uh, worship bulletin this morning all of the things that are going on. Um, so I'll not repeat any of those because y'all are people who can read, um, except from Mark Hobson. He can read, but he's, he's got an announcement. Except that he's gone to get my microphone. <laughs> did you call me up? I did. I uh, just wanted to announce that uh, Hugh Santa for Training Center, we're going to have a fundraiser on Thursday, June 29th at Tumbleweed. And if any of you would like to participate, we have a coupon that I have that uh, allows us to receive a portion of the of the uh, monies for that night. So, but you have to have this for us to qualify. So please see me and I'll get you one of these. Everybody likes tumbleweed, right? Good. I read this someplace and it stuck with me. Because I think it describes who we challenge ourselves to be. And it reminds us that nothing, nothing is able to separate us from the love of Christ. So here's what I read. This is the perfect church for imperfect people. It matters not where you come from or where you're going the color of, the skin, of your skin or the content of your heart, your sexual orientation or your marital status, whether or not you went to Yale or just got out of jail, all are welcome in this place. This is the house of God. All are welcome in this place. So I invite you to... Um, Grab the little red things, write your name in it, whatever information you wanted to give us, send it down the road. Um, and then and now we're gonna sing.
holy God, we walk into your house, we have breakfast together, we laugh and talk and enjoy our time, and today we are grateful for our dads. Some of us will hug our dads and give them ties they won't wear and artwork they will proudly hang in the office. Some of us will spend the day remembering our dads. and realizing the influence he has had on us. The ways he loved us and took care of us. We smile with gratitude and we cry with heartache that he is no longer here. God bless all the dads. It is hard, it is hard job. Lead them, grant them wisdom and courage and a heart that reflects your love and grace. Holy God, bless our time together. May we look at each other and see you. Grant us eyes to see beyond, ears to hear what isn't said, and hands to offer your comfort and acceptance, for we are all your children, brothers and sisters. And as such, God, sometimes we fight and bicker, but God, like any family, when push comes to shove, we are there for each other. Thank you, God, for being our Abba, Father, for loving each of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.
have come into his house and we're gathered in his name to worship him. And we surely have begun that already this morning. Let us stand together as we sing.
it's over. So today is another Sunday that we can come into your house and that we can worship you. We thank you for your blessing, for this world, for our senses to enjoy the world. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for our families, for our fathers, our mothers, sisters and brothers, our friends, dear Lord, who seem like our family. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for our church family. We give ourselves to you, dear Lord, and we beg you to use us. We beg you to use our church and your community. We beg you to allow us to be used by you in our everyday lives. And dear Heavenly Father, just as in the scripture and the sermon that we'll be having soon, strangers at the table, please don't ever let us turn away any strangers. Please help us to always show your love to everyone we meet, whether we know them or not. Now we ask, dear Heavenly Father, that you bless our tithes and our offerings, that you use them for your goodwill or your glory. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our dear Lord and Savior. Amen.
morning. Let us open our hearts to the reading of the scripture this morning. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Justin Boren, and we're, if you are familiar with the Oak Hopes Berry Hymnals, we're singing a song uh, to the tune of Danny Boy, but it's called Above the Hills of Time.
so Justin, my question is, did you have to audition before you started going out with Melissa? <laughs> Thank you so much. Our scripture passage this morning is a fascinating one for me. While other preachers are most likely focusing on the fact that this is where Abraham and Sarah are told that it's time to build the crib and paint the guest room blue, which would make sense. It's Father's Day after all. I'm like the dog in the movie Up when somebody yells, squirrel. (laughs) We find Abraham sitting outside his tent in the heat of the day. First, it gets hot in the desert. And for those of you who have been tent camping, although I think Abraham and Sarah's home is a wee bit bigger than a camping tent, but the point being, it's hot in a tent in the desert. And it's in the middle of the day, so it's really hot. Second, we find Abraham sitting outside. Because just the chapter before this passage, we learn that Abraham and God have made a lasting covenant. God has changed their names from Abram and Sarah to Abraham and Sarah. And God and Abraham have sealed their covenant with an agreement of circumcision for every male now and forevermore. So here we find Abraham, having just taken his noon pain medicine, sitting on the porch of the tent, and he looks up and finds three strangers coming down the street. Abraham gets up and runs to meet them. That's why I think he's had his pain medicine. He ran to meet them, and he said, Let me get you some water to wash your feet and a bit of food so you can rest and relax before you head out for the rest of the country. The three accept. Okay, water to wash your feet and a bit of food. Well, now, hospitality was a major point uh, at this point in time. It was a major thing. There were no Shonies or air-conditioned vehicles or comfort inns. Travelers depended on the kindness of strangers to help them along. If a traveler or foreigner came to you, it was your moral duty, your moral obligation to provide for them, even to the point of providing for their safety, should it come to that. The traveler, by the same token, has a moral duty to accept the hospitality and not bring trouble to their hosts. It was an unwritten law, the way you lived together peaceably. Abraham recognized them as travelers in need of food and shelter, and they accepted his hospitality. So Abraham runs into the tent and says to Sarah, Pull out a sack of your best flour. Now, a sack would have been about 20 quarts. Now, I'm no cook, and I'm certain. (laughs) And I am certainly no baker of bread. But that just seems like a lot of flour for three guys needing a snack along the way. But, okay. Get out the flour and make some bread. 
Then Abraham goes to one of his employees with a tender, fat calf and tells him to prepare it for dinner. He got some milk and cream and probably was kind of yogurty-like and served that along with the meal and bread. Now, here is where somebody has yelled squirrel for me in this story. It's not like Abraham said to Sarah, just run down to the Great Harvest Bread Company and pick up some fresh bread. And then to the servant, run down to Sherway and pick up some steaks to throw on the grill. Sarah had to bake the bread in the oven. And it's hot. The servant had to kill the calf, drain it, and do whatever it is you have to do to prepare meat after you kill it before you put it on the grill. This is not just a simple little cookout with stuff from the fridge. This took some time. Here are three guys with clean feet sitting out under the tree waiting for dinner. This was no small thing. And Abraham and Sarah didn't even know these guys. The concept of hospitality then and the concept of hospitality now is as different as daylight and tuna fish. Henry now and says, our definition of hospitality is tea parties, bland conversation, and a general atmosphere of coziness. Hospitality is a generic friendliness that God is a therapeutic nice guy who asks only that we be nice too. Southern Living Magazine says hospitality is delicious dinners, polite conversation in your beautiful clean home, and I would add with people you know and who you're pretty sure will reciprocate. (laughs) We don't invite strangers into our home. Everyone will tell you that's just not a good idea, even ones with clean feet. No, they are strangers for a reason. We don't know them. They could be there to steal our silver or go through the medicine in the cabinet in the bathroom or check out our house so they can come back later and steal stuff. They might be Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) You know they're in Evansville for a conference this weekend. (laughs) They could have crossed that money-saving bridge and infiltrated Henderson. We're not going to go to the trouble of making bread and grilling up our best steaks for them. Are we? Jimmy Durrell, co-founder and executive director of Mission Waco in Waco, Texas, tells about sitting around their dinner table. Along with his wife and four children sit three men who look, act, and even smell strange. These are dinner guests most people would report to the police if they walked up to their front steps. One wore filthy jeans and had long, a long unkempt beard. Another had tattoos engraved all over his face and sported an Elvis-like hairdo. The third sits in his wheelchair, propping up a dirty amputated leg against a chair rail. They joined hands for a mealtime prayer, and the food begins to fly around the table. The bearded fellow, Kruger, 
is an ex-offender who spent some time in prison for stealing cars. When he returned from the Vietnam War addicted to drugs, he had to find a way to support his habit. While his appearance and social skills could make you think he was an uneducated, he had taken classes at the community college for over 10 years with no intention of graduating. He just enjoys learning about chemistry and physics and the sciences. While he talks for hours about the unique properties of acid and bacteria and atoms, he spills gravy down his shirt. The tattoo man, Daryl, grew up in a bar with his mother filling drink orders. He considers himself the bad apple of the family. All over his body are scars from knife fights and car wrecks. He was hit by an 18-wheeler as he tried to cross the interstate on foot while intoxicated. Daryl also has schizophrenia. And to combat all of that, he will self-medicate and binge drink for days until he just blacks out. Craig hardly raises his head. He just keeps eating and eating and eating. He spends most of his life on the street, usually looking for a meal or a place to sleep. Like Daryl, Craig is a lifelong alcohol addiction. One night, drunk under a local bridge, somebody attacked him with a knife and cut his upper leg so deeply that it had to be amputated to save his life. After a miserable recovery in a nursing home, Craig is back out out on the street. Pass the potato, please, he says, and keeps eating. Abraham and Sarah welcomed three men they didn't know either. They were... They were also strangers at their table. If we're going to practice hospitality the way they did, we have to let go of our suspicions. We have to look and hear and know and even trust what is in front of us. Sharing common acts of life with those who are socially, racially, economically, politically, and even morally different from us creates that kind of space to build love and understanding and growth rather than just allowing prejudice and cultural differences to continue to put distance between us just out of our ignorance. We have grown up in a culture of fear. Television shows us crime, threats of a lawsuit, insurance disclaimers and scammers, To offer hospitality to those who are different, we are told, is just crazy. So like anything we learn, maybe we can take baby steps. Maybe we can work in the Salvation Army soup kitchen. Maybe we could volunteer at Harbor House or the women's shelter. Maybe we can help Mary Dunham at the Christian Community Outreach Maybe we could lead a Bible study at the Warm Center, be a big brother or big sister to a child whose parent is incarcerated. Maybe we could be a tutor at the Juvenile Detention Center. With each act of hospitality comes familiarity and easing of fears 
and we begin to understand our commonalities rather than our differences. Jimmy Durrell says that as they saw their guests to the door, one of their teenage sons says, Dad, that was sort of cool. Let's have them back soon. The power of Christ's hospitality, letting go of our suspicions. If we're going to let go, if we're going to show hospitality the way Abraham and Sarah did, we may have to put the safety on our judgment triggers. You know, those things that seem to automatically trigger our brains to shift into judgment mode. I have been a chaplain at Methodist Hospital for over 12 years. I came the month after Tim Hobbs arrived here. I have met a lot of people in those 12 years. Two of them stand out. To this day, George is my all-time favorite patient. George was dirt poor, didn't smell very well, didn't have a tooth in his head, couldn't put a correctly grammatical sentence together if somebody held the gun to his head. And if he was in the hospital, it was because he had not done what the doctors told him to. When I first met George, I saw a dirty, smelly, uneducated man who just needed to follow the doctor's orders so this wouldn't keep happening. For heaven's sakes, George. And yet, in spending time with him, I learned that he was hilariously funny, could grow the best tomatoes in Henderson County, and I know that. Because he brought them to me. He had a family who adored him. And I soon came to adore him too. George died a few years ago and I went to his funeral. I heard stories from folks who loved him and to whom George had been friend, teacher, and family. His generous heart had touched many, including me. The other man is Sam. Like George, Sam had been a patient because of poor choices. Like George, he was poor and uneducated. The first time I met Sam, he was angry, angry, because he said that the scriptures tell us that if we call the elders of the church, they're supposed to come with anointing oil, pray over you, and you will be healed. Sam said he had called a bunch of churches in town about an elder coming to anoint him and pray with him. Every one of those churches had told Sam that they would be glad to pray with him. He just needed to come to them. Sam was angry. He just kept saying that the Bible said that the elders were supposed to come to you. And nobody cared enough to come to him. My first reaction to him was, good grief, Sam, if you want to be anointed and prayed over, just go. Obviously, I never said that, but that's what I kept telling myself. Sam said that he had a son, but he rarely saw him and no other family or friends. About the third visit of Sam saying to me that if God cared, if the church cared... 
somebody would send the elders. Finally, God thumped me on the back of the head, and I called my friend Larry Courtney. Larry is an elder, an ordained elder in the St. Paul's Episcopal Church, and he had anointing oil. I introduced him to Sam as an elder in the Episcopal Church and that he had come to anoint Sam and pray with him. And Larry did just that. And everything flipped on a dime. Sam began to heal physically, emotionally, spiritually. He and his son have reconnected along with his daughter-in-law and teenage grandson. Whenever I see Sam, we call each other friends. And he is at peace. Showing hospitality means that we have to let go of those one-word descriptions that ooze with judgment. Poor, addicted, uneducated, smelly, handicapped, divorced, LGBTQ, arrogant, condescending, sexist, xenophobic, pompous, hypocrite, and whatever else words you can think of. If we're going to show hospitality the way Abraham and Sarah did, we have to let go of our judgments. And finally, if we're going to show hospitality that would make Abraham and Sarah proud, we need to create that space where we can be with friends and strangers alike and be together at home. Tony Campolo tells this story. You may have heard it. Tony Campolo is a teacher of sociology and lives and a pastor and lives on the East Coast. So traveling to Honolulu, Hawaii messed with his biorhythms and his body clock was off. He found himself awake at 3 o'clock in the morning with his body thinking it was 9 o'clock in the morning. So he went in search of a place that served breakfast at 3.30 in the morning. When he found this little place open, he went in and took a seat on one of the seats at the counter to discover that it really was a sleazy, greasy spoon, but it was the only place he could find The fat guy behind the counter came over and said, What do you want? Campolo told him a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured him a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hands on his smudged apron, and then grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. Campolo said he really would have appreciated it if he had used a pair of tongs and put the donut on some wax paper, but there it was. He sat there munching on his donut and sipping on his coffee at 3.30 in the morning, and the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to his discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, so they sat on either side of Campolo. Their talk was loud and crude. He felt completely out of place and just about as he was as he was just about to make his getaway he overheard a woman sitting beside him say tomorrow's my birthday i'm going to be 39 her friend responded so what do you want from me a birthday party 
You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? The first woman said, why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Campolo said when he heard that, he made a decision. He waited until the women left, and then he called over the fat guy behind the counter and asked him if they came in there every night. Yeah, he said. The next one next the one next to me, does she come in here every night? Yeah. That's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think about throwing her a birthday party for her? Right here, tomorrow night. Well, a smile slowly crossed his little chubby face, and he says, That's great. I like it. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back, he shouted, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. This guy wants us to go in with him and throw her a birthday party right here tomorrow night. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who are really nice and kind, and nobody ever does anything nice and kind for her. Campolo told them that he would be back the next morning about 2.30 to decorate the place, and he'd pick up a birthday cake. Harry, the fat guy, told him that the birthday cake was his thing and he'd make the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, Campolo showed up with crepe paper decorations and a sign made of big cardboard pieces that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. He decorated from one end of that diner to the other. Well, Harry's wife must have gotten the word out because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was at that diner. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and Tony Campolo. (laughs) At 3.30 on the dot, the door swung open and in came Agnes and her friend, and they all yelled, Happy Birthday! Campolo said he had never seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled a bit, and her friend had to grab her arm and lead her to one of the stools along the counter while they sang happy birthday to her. When the birthday cake with the candles on it was carried out, she just lost it and started crying. Harry gruffly mumbled, Blow out the candles, Agnes. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to do it for you. After an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her to cut the cake. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Without ever taking her eyes off the cake, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it all right with you if I... I mean, is it okay if I kind of... Well, what I'm trying to ask is, is it okay if I just keep the cake for a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and said, sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She said. 
looking at Tony Campolo. I just lived down the street a couple of doors, and I want to take the cake home and show my mother. Okay? I'll be right back. Honest. With that, she got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, walked slowly to the door. We all stood there in stunned silence, said Campolo. Not knowing what else to do, he broke the silence by saying, What do you say we pray? He said, looking back on that, it seemed more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but it felt like the right thing to do. So he prayed for Agnes and for her salvation. He prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he finished, Harry leaned over the counter and said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Campolo said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Hospitality. The kind that Abraham and Sarah offered means that we are willing to create open and empty space into which strangers can come and find themselves at home. Christian hospitality is not about the extraordinary deed or the heroic self-effort. Neither is it something we can accomplish Hospitality is rather a life we receive as we rely upon and respond to God and one another for the sake of God's kingdom. It is life together. And when we practice true hospitality, it is being with each other rather than doing for the other. In the being with we find better descriptive words. Funny, warm, smart, talented, articulate, knowledgeable, caring, loving, kind, giving, shy, maybe even hurt. Jesus taught us, I was a stranger and you took me into your homes naked and you clothed me sick and you took care of me in prison and you visited me. When you do that, You have done it for me. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. And Moses reminds us in Deuteronomy, and you you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves are aliens in Egypt. This morning we gather at this table. Most of us have been at this table over and over. We know it well. It feels comfortable like home because the folks in this room are family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us have never been to this table and may be a bit nervous. Maybe you have been 
maybe you have experienced a group that welcomes only church members to this table. Maybe you've experienced a congregation that told you you were not welcome at this table because God doesn't love people like you. Maybe you have been led to believe that you have to be old enough, good enough, wise enough, rich enough, worthy. My God, forgive our arrogance and stupidity. For on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Nowhere in there does Jesus say, this is my body for those of you who are good enough. You who are worthy. This is my body for those of you who have read the Bible through four times. Those of you who have a big bank account. This is my body for those of you who have not sinned. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. When you drink for the cup, remember me. Now, this is not my invitation to the table. This is Jesus' table and his invitation. I'm just trying to be Sarah and to say to those of you who may be strangers to this table, come. It is ready. We have a place just for you. May we taste the grace of God together and be satisfied. Amen. this table for all are welcome.
let us stand as we sing our final hymn. I leave you with these words from Thomas Merton for our benediction. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following you does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may, not, though I may seem to be lost And in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.
from the table to listen to his words, his secret plan.